everyone and welcome to the first episode of Advocacy Passion and Beyond Voices from the SI Leader Lab a podcast brought to you by Feminism in India in collaboration with the Swedish Institute I'm your host Japleen Pasricha and today we are talking about how powerful stories can mobilize and create change and with me I have two guests so first let me introduce Anna Sosorenko from Moldova Anna founded an international youth network within the UN and also one of the largest peer-to-peer education networks nationally. She has developed guides about youth advocacy tools, facilitated tons of workshops, done community organizing and so much more. Hi Anna and welcome. Uh, I heard that you recently had your diploma ceremony of the uh, SL Leader Lab. How does it feel? Hello, hello. Thank you for for having me as um, as a guest here in uh, in your podcast. I'm very happy to be part of it and actually I'm still in a very high enthusiasm after the the graduation, let's say from the Swedish Institute Leader Lab, which was um uh I shall uh recognize that it was one of the most uh, uh efficient program that I ever joined. Uh, efficient in terms of like time and effort and knowledge, but also in terms of connections and networking. So I'm really happy and uh, full of energy to continue the work on uh, on advocacy and leadership. Thanks, Anna. That's so nice to hear. And I also want to introduce our second guest, Shristi Bakshi from India. A few years ago, Shristi embarked on a 3,800 kilometer journey on foot across India from Kanyakumari in the south to Kashmir in the north to understand and end gender-based violence. She met with hundreds and thousands of women on her journey, talked to them about gender-based violence, about violence against women, and now has created a documentary film called Boom uh, or Women of My Billion. So great to have you here, Shristi. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's an honor. And uh, just to iterate and and, uh, talk about Anna's experience, the experience of Swedish Institute never goes away. It is always with you. And uh, one of the most memorable times of, uh, you know, my fellowship there has been the network as well. Uh, It's just a phenomenal alumni and a great platform. Thanks, Rishti. Uh, I'm going to start with you. I, When I read about your journey, I was so impressed and I was just thinking about the kind of planning, the kind of uh, physical training that you must have gone through to take such a long and you know strenuous journey. So um, I would like to know more about, you know, uh, how you thought about this, what was going on in your mind and what has, what has been your biggest learning from this campaign? Uh, so the journey for me started a year before I actually embarked on my own foot, uh, uh, you know, uh, expedition. Uh, it was, uh, I was returning home from work and I was sitting in a bus just scrolling through social media and I came across a news article. Uh, the article was about a 13-year-old girl and her mother who were traveling on a highway and were gang raped in front of the father. It just, this news piece left me Um, shocked, uh, very angry. And this question constantly came, you know, kept coming back to me, which was that um, I have done my armchair activism. I have expressed my anger on social media. I've taken to the keyboard and literally posted on every platform I know about these news pieces and uh, the horror stories. Um, Have I done enough? And is it something that is there something that I'm missing? And if I could do something, what could it be? 
So uh, this question kept looming uh, on my mind, and and that's how I, you know, kind of charted my course to my on foot journey from the south of India to the north because I really wanted to understand uh, what constitutes this violence and how can we actually bring solutions from the ground. A lot of people are working, a lot of activists are working in this field and uh, and I wanted to be part of their journey as well. And that's how I decided that I will embark on a journey which uh, would give me an experience of actually meeting the women who go through this violence and meet the community around them and find ways to influence and change their realities. That's amazing, Shrishti. Thank you. And uh, just to follow up, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you? I mean, I, I'm assuming the, the physical part of the campaign itself was a huge challenge, but I want to understand when you were approaching women and women, you especially from rural backgrounds, you know, working in India myself, um, I think there's always this barrier that when an urban looking woman uh, approaches women from rural backgrounds, there's always this sense of alienation. So I want to understand how did you, you know, make them feel comfortable enough to talk to you, to share their stories uh, and, 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 you know, motivate them. So I'll talk about the challenges. Uh, it was a journey which was very well planned. Um, I think like when I look back at my own planning uh, documents and uh, people have spoken to while that planning phase was uh, live in my journey, I think it really helped me to understand what would be the ground challenges and how I would tackle them and plan for them. So, um, you know, this uh, rural and urban divide and this alienation that the rural women could feel in the presence of an urban looking uh, educated woman, um, I knew this problem is something that I would encounter. So I planned for it in the sense that I designed my communication in a way which would give an opportunity for the women to uh, know me after they have already judged me. Because, uh, you know, it is a stereotype. It is, uh, it is something that I would encounter no matter which room I walked into. So I planned for this, uh, this barrier to be broken. So, so that's when I, whenever I walked into a room, is when I met the women and they were able to pour their hearts out and, and speak to me in a, in a language that was common. Because after all, Jablin, you know that the language of violence is the same around the world. What happens in the four walls is the same across any city you take in the entire world. So, so once that barrier was broken, uh, they were able to speak to me heart to heart and share their stories. Thank you, Shrishti. Uh, and I'll come to you now. Uh, so you work a lot on youth ad advocacy and uh, peer education. Uh, I want. I would like to know what has been the most, uh, you know, challenging campaign or story for you. And uh, you know, reflecting on your work over the past few years, do you think that the uh, there has been an increase in the kind of uh, youth leadership? Like, is there a need to increase the kind of youth leadership programs that we have today? Actually, um, just uh, if to share very shortly how I started this is basically. Uh, 15 years ago, when um, I was one of the most active young people, you know, like willing to participate, to speak, to be part of everything that is happening, to volunteer for everything and so on. And then I realized that I cannot do this alone. So I need a team 
to help me. So that's how I started to do peer education. So basically, I started to share what I know with my peers and to help them to understand also how valuable can be our involvement or engagement in the society, not just for the society, but for us as uh, individuals. So I started this uh, 15 years ago, and um, during the time I worked also at the national level and also the regional and international level. And uh, I think all the stories that we had and all the uh, participants and uh, their uh, experience was uh, uh, were so um, um, uh, special and uh, interesting. And uh, any of these stories, it deserves a lot of attention and uh, to be shared. But one of the stories that really um, uh, uh, helped me to understand how important is our work was a girl that was from MENA region. And actually, uh, she was part of one of the training just by accident. I mean, like, she just applied and got selected and was there. And then it was so nice to notice how much she learned. And in several years, she became one of the most active leaders in her community. And then she was able to speak about uh, subjects, including domestic violence. And she was able to speak about how um, education can change the life of women and, and so on. So it was so impressive to see such a big difference from a participant that never been to a workshop or never heard about advocacy and leadership to a leader that is already skilled and able to train others and to inspire others and to speak about subjects like domestic violence, which is not an easy topic to address in a region like MENA region. So that was one of the oh, one of the cases that uh, made me um, to, to continue and uh, uh, made me to understand how important is what we are doing. And uh, if to speak about the differences between um, what we had, like, let's say, 10 years ago and now, uh, I would say that 10 years ago we had more interest and less programs and now we have more programs and less interest and i i i i think that um it's um it's something that it's normal uh because we used to to have a lot of um trainings and we trained people and they started to create their own initiatives and it's normal that the energy and um, the focus is divided and we have much more programs that are focused on young people and uh, they know how to work with young people and they do this and and then young people they feel that they are you know like not so much interested because there are some progresses so you don't feel that your voice is not heard so why to do this if every uh, anything it's um anyhow it's happening so that that's a normal process from my point of view and i think that the next stage will be uh even more powerful and um we'll have more uh, youth power and uh, youth voice represented. And um, uh, I still think that there is a lot of need to listen to young people, to speak to them, to engage them in what we are doing. Um, there are some progresses and it's true. And also we have a younger generation than uh, um, a larger uh, young generation than before. So it's uh, obvious that they'll be more present because we have more of them. But we need to, to look a little bit deep in their um, uh, willingness to, to, to participate, to change and what exactly they want to do. Because um, the, the last generation that I had, for example, with my peer educators, it's very different. They will not just do something. They want to understand 
uh, they they will uh, do it just if that's really an interest for them. And uh, yeah, we we need to analyze more uh, their their um, uh, analytical uh, uh, skills and uh, to to understand better what they want. That's that's very interesting, Anna. I actually wasn't expecting that uh, when you said that. Even though there there is progress, uh, and a lot of young people have you know benefited from these kind of workshops and trainings, but some have also lost interest or uh, they have moved on to other things. So I actually have a follow up question. I would like to know what, in your opinion, or you can even you know cite examples from other campaigns that you may have seen uh, or participated in. Uh, how can we meaningfully engage young people uh, and sustain their interests? Because as we all know that social justice work is a long-term goal. Uh, we cannot achieve gender equality or any kind of, you know, we cannot remove any kind of systemic uh, oppression overnight. And we all know that we are in for the long game. So how can we then meaningfully engage young people? I totally agree and I really like how you said that we are here for a long term game because uh, I really think that uh, the changes will come in years and uh, we need to invest a lot of energy today but uh, the result will be uh, later. And uh, just to give you an, uh, a very short example about the interest and the programs, we are doing annually a, world, uh, a global workshop on leadership and advocacy and for example when we started in 2015 we had like over 2000 applicants for, for 50 places at one workshop. And this year we had like several hundreds. So you see the difference. I mean, like if at that time there were not so many global workshops, we got a lot of applicants. Now there are several, I mean, like you can find different subjects, different uh, global workshops. And of course your, um, let's say uh, uh, your uh, uh, choice Will be difficult and you'll have to select one because you cannot participate in all of them and then we got less applicants for our program which i think it's fine and i mean like i'm not um i'm not saying that this is bad uh what i want to understand and what i want um, us to do as uh, youth advocates and working with young people is to understand better the interests of young people because uh if uh, before they were just interested to do something now they want to do something with meaning and that's that's very important and actually that's uh, a very valuable uh, thing that is happening and um to ensure their meaningful participation in our programs we have to give them more not just knowledge but also skills also experience uh we have to engage them for a longer term not just one time workshop i i think that there is like already um, no interest for one-time events because it's just one time and uh, um, no one see the, the uh, let's say that the, um, uh, long-term uh, impact. Sometimes one-time event that are very specific got a lot of interest, but if it's just like say, like just a workshop on leadership, most probably people will not apply. But if there will be a workshop on leadership and uh, um, a specific thing, like let's say a specific area or specific uh, issue, then we may get more interest because uh, there, there is a lot and they have to learn to, to select and I'm happy when they know what they want. So to ensure their meaningful participation, we need to provide them more. Uh, it's not enough just to have good 
um, uh, content, it's also necessary to have good tools that you apply in working with them. And if to speak a little bit about the Swedish Institute and what they are doing with um, Leader Lab um, program is actually a very good example when you learn not just the information, but also the tools and you learn how to apply them and you graduate the program with an exact uh let's say agenda for your work so you can just take them and apply them and that will uh, increase your level as a professional so i think this is how we can engage young people young people more meaningful thank you thank you anna that's uh, you have made such brilliant points and on that note i actually have a question for you shristi so you know uh, i would like to know what advice or you know uh, best learning like best practices you would want to give to young people today who uh, want to do advocacy on gender-based violence uh, how to because gender-based violence is such a sensitive topic so how do uh, how to uh, you know navigate the topic sensitively how to work with survivors uh, and also allies uh, i just want a more rounded you know conversation on when we are dealing with topics as sensitive as uh, you know which involve violence how can we have a empathetic and sensitive approach towards it my biggest learning from my own journey uh, so far uh, is that uh, violence is is at the hands of the minority and it is the silence of the majority is why violence perpetuates so the most important thing here is to note that the good is a lot more than what is bad and that automatically in your mind actually you know diminishes or or kind of brings the problem to a format or when you're looking at this problem uh in a way where it looks like it's a big ordeal and it's very difficult to to uh, navigate your way through suddenly you'll start finding it uh that it is actually not that difficult if you have the power of the community so gender based violence in itself is a very lonely vulnerable uh time for a woman and she actually regresses into a self preservation mode so it automatically automatically cuts her off from her own community and i think that is where i find an opportunity of how shared narratives can actually inspire these women to take action and to the youth uh, the appeal is to actually um, you know through their digital advocacy um powers and through their um uh, you know ways to innovative ways to actually appeal to the larger audiences that they uh, embark on my appeal is that that people have to bring out the stories of survivors and those stories of survivors are inspirational and uh, and i think those uh, narratives also influence allies in many many ways so from my own story when i actually look at the audience after my documentary has played in a theater or a film festival i've always seen the men uh in in shock in shock of how realities exists and within these four walls of uh you know the house and uh, men actually feel that they didn't know till till that time when the woman has actually spoken in her own voice 
of her violence. Um, so, so I think the allies will will come on board once they are exposed to these narratives and exposed to these stories. So, uh, which I have seen with my own eyes, and. Um, in terms of uh, you know the advocacy measures that the young people can can take is definitely to break the monotony because uh, there is a little bit of exhaustion in 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 the market in in the way communication is happening about gender based violence people actually switch off and uh, again from this experience of mine when i came across that that article and i started um, um, you know talking to my network and my family and my friends uh, it always boiled down to this is something which is this happens. I think you know you're reading too much into it. You're diving too much deeper into this issue. Um, it'll only depress you. You know, <clears throat> think about invest your energy somewhere else. So if uh, constantly the youth is motivated to invest their energies outside of the issue that they're really really passionate about, uh, then that's that's where the deviation happens and and the mind kind of like you know. Uh, feels that exhaustion from this monotony of news being, you know, constant news coming to them. Uh, and I feel that that is where uh, if uh, the activist circles and, and the youth can actually create moments of hope, because that is what will actually inspire change. Um, create moments, those light bulb moments, which inspires action, not just, uh, you know, uh, again, armchair activism, which I was doing for a better part of my life um then that you know once that inspiration is there then there is a con there's a need for that constant dose of that inspiration as well um so so once you have captured the attention of your audience then you need to keep going back to them with new ideas with new innovative ways to communicate so that you keep your band motivated Thank you, Shristi. And you know, I'm uh, hearing so many similar things that both of you have said about uh, more meaningful engagement, not just having one workshop or one training, but uh, having a follow up as well. And, um, you know, giving youth more tools uh, to engage meaningfully, sensitively, especially when they are dealing with uh, survivors of violence. Uh, now, as we know, you know, the, the activism landscape really changed uh, during uh, the pandemic and a lot of organizations which uh, worked on the ground had to innovate and, you know, come up with uh, new ways of uh, continuing their work. So, and, and, and we know that digital advocacy uh, emerged as the new world order uh, post-COVID. So with respect to that, and this is a question to both of you, uh, how important do you think is digital literacy for young adults to stand up and speak and uh, challenge systemic oppression? For, uh, you know, COVID in terms of uh, how I have read the impacts of COVID in my field, it has compounded effects on uh, women and girls because, you know, they are now captured uh, and sometimes in with their own perpetrators. So uh, a large part of gender-based violence comes from domestic violence as well. So domestic violence is something that has uh, that has surged in many many parts of the world to really, you know, numbers which we can't even compound at the moment. So uh, what what I feel is that the digital access and uh, these moments and these windows where um, you know, these women, all the uh, 
people who are actually suffering uh, if they could be uh, spoken to uh, when they are accessing the digital world which is outside of their homes and their environments i think it is it is a moment of um, which is of very very uh, it's very important so all the advocates who have been actually championing gender based violence and the effects and how can we actually preve- uh, prevent uh, this from happening um, they have to be able to understand how to how to better their communication how to better their uh, ways to capture attention of not just the uh people who are suffering but also their allies so that uh, so that there are moments where they can stand tall and stand stronger uh with the women in need so definitely i think digital trainings digital uh, uh ways to communicate is is something that is the need of the hour to be able to train all individuals um to be able to use this platform more effectively Yeah um I I totally support what uh, what was said and um I think that um this was a good period to to understand what are the, re- the real values and priorities while working with advocacy and with young people especially and um um I would say it was a good time for us as those providing this to understand better how we can do better and then uh it was uh also a good time for for others to understand the importance of network the importance of being together with with your community or with your uh peers in the same network and when i say network i say the 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 groups that help us to share and uh, actually uh just regarding to domestic violence and uh gender based violence uh, i was um i was just talking with uh, my uh, family here and friends and we realized that actually our grandmothers they had a more um uh um stronger network than we do and uh, that was a network that was created on need based on needs and also on their community i mean like they were so well connected for all the events that were happening for all the i mean like sad and bad news and so on and so on so that was a much stronger network that helped them to survive and uh, and uh, uh live their life and i guess covid um showed us how important it is to have this network alive and to invest invest in creating strong networks that uh, that uh, are formed based on needs and uh, uh connect people there to to offer them safe space and uh, a safe environment for sharing for uh um uh just being there and uh receiving the the um, uh information from others so i think that um digital access it's important also to access digital networks and uh one of the lesson i learned during this period was that uh, we have to invest a lot in creating strong networks hearing you loud and clear anna uh networks support networks are extremely extremely important uh, i don't think that anybody can go uh without you know both professional personal but also active support networks because all of us uh when we are doing activism uh, whatever form it is uh, there is always a risk 
uh, to you know ourselves to our life to our work uh, and uh, having a network of other activists and having a network of uh people who can help you uh, is really uh, both physically but also mentally empowering uh so that uh, you you feel supported and you know can continue the work that you are doing and speaking of networks i think uh, the swedish institute and uh, the lead lab has brought us all together and uh, it has been an absolute wonderful network uh i can say that for myself i have made so many new friends uh and i've also collaborated with them after uh graduating from the leader lab uh with my work and it's so funny because uh, some of my very close friends now are from the leader lab network and uh they are based in the same city as me but i had ne- i never knew them unless we met in stockholm so it's like we had to fly all the way from new delhi <laughs> to stockholm to meet each other even though we lived in the same city and uh just you know as we near the end of, uh near the end of this episode um i would like to ask you uh, both to share a moment from uh the swedish institute's program that has been important to you uh you know anything that uh was a aha moment for you or you know it it clicked something for you it changed something on how you see a certain thing so anything like that would be really uh you know it would be really nice to hear i can go first because i am <laughs> a recent uh, graduate from the from the program so i have a fresh memory of what happened um i think that there were two mem- moments that really um uh marked me let's say or made me to to appreciate more the program uh it's not the first time when i participate in a regional program because i did participate in the program focused on eastern uh europe partnership i mean like most of the participants were from eastern europe and it's not the first time when i do participate in such a program but the connections that we met her, here were m- much stronger and uh, if speaking about the network i think the investment in creating this strong network was very high and it was obvious that we were connected even before we started i mean like the the selection process was so so well organized that in the first uh, session we had i felt that i have such a a uh, similar story to my uh, colleagues from other countries and i felt connected to them and i felt that we really uh, represent one region having the same issues having the same um <laughs> um we were uh, we were joking that we fight with the same enemies in uh, in um uh, uh, increasing the democracy and uh, um uh, youth engagement in our countries so it was uh, such a strong feeling that this is my my group it's my network it's my uh, my team so that was first and then the second one that i really uh, appreciated was the fact that the information that we we received here with the swedish uh, institute was so uh, valuable i mean like i heard the same topic uh in my mba um uh, program and an mba program is kind of like top program that you have to pay a lot of money and basically what we receive from the swedish institute is the same value so it's not just a program to 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 do something but it's like such a valuable program with such uh powerful content information tools 
and and then such a strong network and uh yeah i think that the the covid also uh showed us that the the networks that were strong and well created they function even though we we are closed in our uh, closed in our homes so i think what swedish institute is doing is investing in this type of networks that have enough knowledge skills experience and tools to work no matter if they meet in person or if they are online because uh, comparing to your experience i did attend uh, an online program i never uh, saw my colleagues face to face but i feel that they are my friends as well yeah perfect example of post covid digital advocacy work <laughs> Absolutely the connections are deep uh, it is the way the program is designed the way it is communicated that uh, you know leaves you with a lasting impression i have two stories uh, from my uh, experience there where i met this wonderful young uh, um, advocate from women's rights advocate from uh, nepal her name is jenny and her story was unique in the sense that you know uh, she had experienced corporal punishment Uh, as a as a young um, child who has grown up in southeast asia which is very common um and it had such a grave impact on her uh in terms of this she felt that you know her voice has to be heard and she joined various programs to um to develop a path for herself um on you know to empower other women and to empower children and their voices and she still works very hard in this field and and I feel inspired every time she has shared with us her uh, progress and her uh, you know her growing her network in Nepal itself so uh, so that was one and and like I said mentioned about the constant dose of inspiration I think Swedish institute does that for me because I have kept in touch with all my um, you know peer group in that program and after as well where i have uh, been um, you know invited as a trainer or a mentor and when i when i look at these stories of these young uh, people doing you know act- activity after activity it's like it's like this whole bunch of inspirational group which has come together and and this is my dose of inspiration so that's uh, that's jenny for me and jenny for you and then there is another person his name is kapila he's sri lanka based and um, he's absolutely you know such a hilarious fellow uh, brings humor every time he is a very very strong ally uh, who champions uh, the cause of preventing gender based violence not only in sri lanka but, but across the world and his workshops uh, are just phenomenal how he you know engages with the youth engages with the room through music art and inspires people to think beyond themselves and what they have you know grown up to learn so far so um kapila runs the organization called gender genderless jungle and he actually has a small little camp in a jungle Uh, in Sri Lanka and he invites people from across the world to come and experience that life and then holds workshops there so these two people are very inspirational in my life who i met through swedish institute thank you and i'm shrishti for sharing uh, these inspiring stories and thank you for being here uh, you know it was such a great conversation and uh, 
both of you were so open and honest and opened yourself up uh, and shared uh, you know your stories of courage so i i really appreciate both of you being here and to our audience uh, we will be back next week with another episode on countering gender based disinformation and why it's important for democracy stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform thank you and bye for now